Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Nissan Nerd Podcast. This week we'll be kicking off a special two-part interview with former Nissan racing driver Pepe Pombo. For those who aren't familiar, Pepe had a successful career driving in the SCCA as well as a number of other racing series throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s. He spent his time driving four generations of Z-Car and also with the 240SX, the NX, and hard body pickups. Miles and I were, were fortunate to speak with a now retired Pepe, uh, his wife Sandy, and two of his sons, Matt and Mark Bumble, who have also enjoyed careers in racing. As you'll notice during the interview, the Pumble family has been a tight-knit racing family who are all, to this day, loyal Nissan enthusiasts, and you really can't get any better than that. So we'll go ahead and get started. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Nissan Nerd Podcast. Today with us, we've got some very special guests, um, a little bit of uh, racing royalty uh, with us. We've got a uh, Mr. Um, Jose Luis Pepe Pombo on with us and his uh, two sons. We've got uh, Mark and Matt Pombo as well. And we've also got an addition on as well, <laughs> Mrs. Pombo. <laughs> Did you want to say anything, ma'am? <laughs> no, just glad, just glad to be here with all my boys. That's awesome. <laughs> as awesome as always. Thanks I'm for Miles being Hall. here. I'm with, I'm with Mike Deleshmoot. And we're going to go into uh, a little bit of the history with the Pombo Racing family. Obviously, Pepo, I'd like to start a little bit with you and uh, and go from there if we've got some time and uh, discuss uh, some of your lineage here. Obviously, all of you come from a, a, a great racing background. Now, Pepe, your father was actually in racing. He, he was in racing early on in Mexico, from what I can understand. Is that right? That is correct. His name mm-hmm. was Luis Pombo Rivadeneira. And he raced in three of the Panamericanas, the Carrera Panamericanas, the original ones. Before that, they used to race in a, in a little half a mile dirt track. I remember that when I was very little, but I don't even remember what kind of cars. I just remember being there. But I remember that Panamericanas because that was such a big, big event. He raced three of them, and he finished two of them. So that was pretty good. And then... In 1954, which was the last Panamericana, he raced in the Mexican team sponsored by Coca-Cola, driving a Buick Century. And I believe he finished fourth in that race. So did the racing uh, heritage kind of begin with him, or was your great-grandfather also doing something crazy as well? Well, as far as I know, my (laughs) grandfather used to race Model T's in Spain. That's what I was told, but I have no proof of that. So we don't know how far this goes back. Probably to horses. <laughs> probably to horses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very, very cool. So you were born September 8, 1943 in Mexico City and uh, began racing at age 13. I guess that's when you got the bug. That's correct. My father bought me a motorcycle. Probably the worst mistake he could have ever done or the best. Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, it just worked out good, I guess. But uh, he told me I was never to race it because my mother didn't want me to race it. He bought it to me on a Friday, the following Sunday, I was racing it. Wow. I <laughs> <laughs> was quick. Yeah, it was a Ducati. It was a Ducati 125. I remember that. So you... You started racing, and then obviously you got really good because at some point, what I was able to kind of pull together, you were a, a 250cc National Mexico Motorcycle Champion. I got to ask, is this motocross, road racing, oval, short track? But knowing you, I, I would probably think it's probably all of them, right? You are correct. You know, <laughs> today, 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 motorcycle racing is very specialized. You race motocross. You race flat tracks or you ra- race road racing. And sometimes the desert, you know, that's another issue. But those three categories, they all have their own national championship today in the United States. 
back in those days, there were no the jumpies and all that stuff. It was just mainly cross country. Then we had a flat track and the road racing, and it was six or seven races of each, and whoever had the most points was the national champion. And this was with, um, obviously it wasn't with Ducati, it was with uh, Yamaha, is that That's right? That's correct. That's correct. Back, I was still racing with my mother knowing <laughs> for about four years. And it was funny because every Monday, the newspaper didn't have the sports section. I was <laughs> making sure that my name wasn't in there. But anyway, I did that for I don't know how long. Finally, they, nothing they could do with that. I was going to be racing no matter what. How did that conversation with your mom go? She couldn't do anything about it. She just says, well, you just do the best you can. And uh, be careful. You know, that's it. But I, she, she wouldn't help me as far as financially. So I didn't have, after my Ducati collapse, I didn't have a motorcycle. So I started borrowing bikes from friends. And that's how I started racing. I raced Pooch, I raced Pooch, I raced BSAs, I raced Triumphs. Until finally, one day, I got a call from Yamaha and they offered me a ride. That's how I got into Yamaha. My brother-in-law today, uh, his name is Antonio Serrano. He was the Yamaha main racer back in those years. And he was racing open class and I was racing 250 and under. He won the open class category and I won the 250 and under. And now he's my brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, so... you should ask my sister. <laughs> <laughs> She had no idea who to cheer for when we were racing. <laughs> you take a championship, and so you make it over here to the U.S., and um, I think you took a, it was 11-year hiatus at the time. I quit racing. The last race I did in Mexico was in 1965. I didn't do anything, any racing, till probably 69. I bought me a bull taco and tried to go motorcycle racing. I almost killed myself on that. I said, I'm too old for this stuff. Then after that, a year later, I bought a little MGA and I went solo and playing around with it. But that's it. I did nothing serious then. So 11 years, probably very correct. As far as the number of years, I didn't do any serious racing. Yeah, because you didn't show up on on, uh, on the U.S. radar until 76 when uh, I guess you started racing a Ford Pinto at that point for the SCCA regionals. That is correct. <laughs> sorry i'm a big fan there? so yeah so i'm not a stalker i'm just a casual observer so we didn't have no no money no backing so i had to buy a, the cheapest car i could race and i drive to work were were matt and mark uh born yet and you're no, uh, and you're no, yes. anthony as well right yeah anthony is my oldest son he was born in 1973 72 i'm sorry so he was so, a grocery getter and was, a race car. Was, <laughs> yes, it, it was a grocery getter and a race car. But dad, <laughs> tell him why you wanted the Pinto. No, it was a race in Landbrook, Connecticut. It was called the Car and Driver Championship. I don't know if you remember that. Was this for the magazine? Well, that's what sponsored it. Oh. It was a big event that was for showroom stock. Yeah, that was, and you basically got into that with the SCCA regional. Um, I think that was the SCCA regional showroom is when you, what you registered underneath. Yes. And then I, then I went to, to watch the runoffs with my wife here in Atlanta. And I told my wife, you know, I like to be part of that. No matter if I finish last, I want to be part of that. So you were already <laughs> turning laps at Road Atlanta. And so that truly is your home track. Uh, 76. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. So a few years uh, pass, and then uh, you start getting a little more serious with it. In 82, you, you stepped into a, a 300ZX or a Z31 model. Is that right? You no, know, in 1982, that, that I started racing the 280Z, the regular 280Z, 1976. And remember, remember, in those years, you could only race a car three years. It had to be one year old, and you couldn't race it more than three years in the national races. And at the beginning, they had claimed racing. I could go up to the racetrack with my car. If you wanted to buy it, you had to be a competitor. It was kind of like that 20, with the rules, I guess, for 24 hours lemons, that kind of thing? Yes. Where they'll... Yes. <laughs> nobody wow. sell them, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody was supposed to be running those showroom stock cars. If you think about it, there should have been no advantage. So that was the way they tried to self-police it, you know? Similar to how they do with the claim 
the lemons race. Um, Remember that the rule I said at the beginning, a car had to be one year old and it couldn't be more than three years old. So I, I got a 1976 280C and I raced in 77 and the ro I qualified for the runoffs and I wrecked. And then I had to drive the car all wrecked to work every day, climbing through the window. But anyway, until I, until I could get money to fix it. The, the following year, and 78 is the first, I was fighting for the lead with two Porsches and with a three of us wreck in the back straight road Atlanta. So that left me without a car for 1980. But at that point in time, Nissan knew me a little bit because I was winning most of the races at road Atlanta and I was beating all the track records. You know, they said, maybe we can do something for you. But at that point in time, I already had already purchased a car, 79, to ADCX that I brought here to Atlanta, and uh, it was so illegal. I was, I was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't race it like I bought it. I mean, I, I couldn't pass that. That was crazy. So uh, Nissan sent me a 1980. Well, they, they didn't send me a 1980. They told me if I needed a car, I could get a 1980, and I went to get it at Virginia, one of the training grounds, and I got it back home. But that car was used for training mechanics. So every every bolt nut was three. So <laughs> that's how I learned the 280 CXs. Because out of the two cars I had, I built one. And then I went and raced in 1981. I did pretty decent in 1981. I don't remember if I think I finished fourth. And uh, in 1982, Nissan asked me, at that point in time, why I was not winning. I said, because my car is too old. I need to have a, an 82 or better because I got more horses. So that was my first really introduction to being working with Nissan. They told me that I had to go to Connecticut to pick up a 1982 280CX that belonged to Paul Newman. So I went there and I picked it up and I got it home. And I, that's why I met Bob Sharp and all those people out there, okay? That's when I really got to know him because I used to know him high and by, but I went over there and they helped me to get this car ready to bring it to Atlanta. Anyway, it was an automatic. Nissan said, don't worry, Pepe, we send you a transmission. So they sent the transmission to me, I changed it. And that particular year, I believe that year was, no, 84. That's when they okay. disqualified, they disqualified me there. Oh, I see. They okay. delivered it with a standard transmission, uh, automatic, and I race it with it. Yeah, because in 83, uh, Nissan, Nissan has you on the books as winning the second, uh, coming in second on the SCCA National uh, Championship runoffs. That's and then 84, we'll just call it an asterisk mark in 84. So, <laughs> hey, hey, Matt and Mark, what do you remember about that time, like around 83, 84? I know it's a long time ago, but do you remember anything when getting that car home, that kind of stuff? So I was born in 76. So I was, I was eight around that time. I, you know, the, the first memories that I really have are of the black and gold 280Z, which Ooh, I think would okay. have been, was that 82? Well, when I won the championship in 83, you are in the car with me. Yeah, it was, it was the, it was the black and gold um, 280Z whenever he won the championship. And you rode with them in the car on the, on the, the parade um, lap? So, so what used to happen at the runoffs is when you won, all your crew and everyone just piles in and you'd have like 10 people sitting in the car, you know, limbs hanging out the windows and the back hatches were up and everybody piled into the back. And so, you know, when dad won, they snuck me into the car because you weren't really allowed to be out there <laughs> for under 18. And so I managed to get into the car and they did the victory lap with a big checkered flag. And back then they gave these awesome checkered flags out and, We've got a pretty cool picture in the basement of dad coming down the hill from the bridge with everybody piled in his car with the checkered flag from that year. That's probably the first year that I have, you know, memories of there. And I was about, I was probably seven. I remember Tom Cruise's Z and, um, you okay, know, hold we, on, hold on. Yeah. You can't <laughs> drop that and not, and not talk about it. Mark. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a little late. Later in your timeline, though, so that's more okay. Well, that, we'll that's coming. okay. Uh, right, right now I'm in 1985, so let's let's, let's move <laughs> yeah. on from there. So, 
things that I remember from that 1980 to 85 era, you know, being at the track with Jim Fitzgerald, who was one of dad's really good friends and, you know, just walking the tracks with those guys. Um, you know, I always tried to walk the track with them when I could, and I would just be kind of hanging out, like trying to listen, you know, walking road Atlanta. And I remember the runoffs just being enormous. Like I, maybe it was cause I was, you know, seven and eight years old, but my memories of road Atlanta, even compared to now with like, you know, our petite Lama weekends are like nothing compared to my memories of the runoffs with all the people. It just seemed like there were so many people at the runoffs and it was always hot and they had, had you know, these big inflatable, they, they sound terrible, but I loved them at the time. There were these huge inflatable pools that were in the infield that everybody would get in and there's Georgia clay all in the bottom of it. And it's quite disgusting when you think about it now, but you know, it was just, I mean, it was an, it was an event and, almost like a big Woodstock of, of, of car shows. But that gold and black 280Z was kind of my first memory. And then the other one I had was a lot of memories of the black, the black 300 that just dominated everything. You know what's crazy, though? It's, I mean, let's just dial it back here a little bit. I mean, you're, walk, you're walking the track with Fitzy and, and those guys. I mean, and that's where your earliest memories of racing are. I mean, that's insane, man. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, people would give their left arms right now to have those kind of memories. And so to have that as the, one of your earliest memories of racing, especially with your father being involved, I mean, that's, uh, that's something uh, substantial, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, that and, you know, Fitzy was missing his index finger. So it always was kind of a, it was a weird, he had like just the knuckle. You know, and so I mean, I, I just remember and he was always so nice. And, you know, it, it's amazing that he he was kind of the dominant racer and kind of rode Atlanta's chief instructor and everything there. And he was probably 60, it seemed like. I mean, he yeah. he wasn't a young guy just being around around that group of people. And, you know, Paul Newman was always there. I never really hung out with him as much, but. Dad and, and Fitzy would always walk the track, and they were kind of the technical gurus of Road Atlanta really back in the day. If you wanted to know the tricks to Road Atlanta, it was you know Fitzy and, and Dad, and they were always seemed to be teaching other their, their tricks, you know, of you know entering into turn five and getting your right tires kind of in the dirt on entry. If you kind of watch old runoff footage, you know, there, there's no one else doing that. And those are like, I just remember the little tricks of the trade into turn five that I actually still use today. So for those of you that don't know, uh, just for our listeners, um, while you're listening to the middle of this, just kind of stop what you're doing, go and watch like Paul Newman's winning documentary, and you'll get up to speed on kind of where we're at and what we're kind of all talking about, why everything that we're kind of talking about right now is so important. This is Mark. I just wanted to say one thing. We're getting to that point in 85, 86, where things start to change a little bit for my dad. And I want to put it all in perspective for you because yeah. at this point, dad and mom are working full time. Um, they've got my brother and I, two kids, my dad's family from Mexico started coming over from Mexico. So we have a full house and my dad's working on all of these cars in our garage. So like, we just had a, a, a two car garage and my dad turned it into like uh, a race, race shop. shop. He was prepping his own, his own car. <laughs> where he, he, can, he can tell you about building Tom's car in our own garage at our house. And then all of a sudden things started to blow up after that. And he can go into what happened. And another perspective, my kitchen sink looked out into the garage. <laughs> so it was a wonderful so, view. Is this officially when like Pombo racing started? Is that kind of when that happened? Well, maybe a, just a little before that. But yes, you would say, I would think 84 <laughs> was that point in time because that's when they disqualified me for that car. And Nissan felt pretty bad about it. You know, going through your history here, there's a lot of ups and downs, and uh, and I, I we you know between all of us right now, we could you probably have a million stories. And then what I found on the internet raised an eyebrow or two, and I'm like, okay. And you guys have so much racing history; it's insane. Like it is insane if you if you really know how to dig. Let's talk about '85. You really start to get serious, from what I can tell, and you you win seven out of seven showroom stock A races at that time. And then you're, you took your first national championship, from what I can tell. And uh, is that, do I have my facts right on that? Yeah, no. In 85, you're correct. I, I won just about every national race that was in my region. And, <laughs> and then I won the runoff. 
So you guys got to hear the story a little bit about the Black 300. And we actually know where it is, and we're trying to get it actually back. Go on. This is important um, in terms of Nissan 300 ZX history. And and that that car has probably won more races than any other 300 ZX in the country. The car is in ruins in a a junkyard that we found. It's it's really sad. Um, We're going to call this a hibernated state. Yeah, yeah. It's really sad. That car is VIN number 11, bro. Go into that, too. That's one reason it's so special. That's why. Yeah, it's VIN number 11. It's from Canada because tell them the story about why why Nissan got it from Canada. Because in Canada, they didn't have all the cars for the United States came with T-tops and electric windows. And in Canada, that was optional. You had a slick top? I had, correct. I had a solid top and roll-up windows. So I was about 85 pounds lighter than sneaky, the other That's sneaky. what I'm talking about. That's what Being I was sneaky. Doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, that was, and that was all Nissan. You know, Nissan said, Pepe, we're going to find this car for you. And so they got it, and we, he wrote a dollar check for it. So you guys have more – you guys are pretty well networked. I think one of the reasons Matthew brought that up is – it's a massive undertaking because the car is literally just on rails. We just the rails are sitting there. If any of any of the listeners or you guys have any any connections to help us get the parts, that's one of Matthew and, and my we want that we want that car and we want to get it back. I think that shouldn't be too much of a challenge for us and our listeners. We should be able to revive some great history there. But uh, we can talk about that. And I think you and I know quite a few uh, people here, Mike, that we can make that happen. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to get yeah. the car, and, and we have some, uh, some other Zs that we're going to have to do some chops and frames with it. But, you know, the goal is to have it black, black with, uh, you know, white numbers on it and then show up at the MIDI and some uh, Monterey Historics with that thing and have some fun. Let's I get it done. I think it'd be fun. The car seems very sentimental, man, and I, I really like the fact that y'all are going after it as 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 much as y'all have. That's that's really yeah. that's really great. There's a couple of them. There's another one we'll talk about later that we really want to go after too, but um, we know where that one is. So there's two of them that we want to go after and get. So that was '85. Awesome. That was '85, and then we go into '86. <laughs> this was kind of the the runoffs this year was when Dad kind of set himself into lore of racing history. Yeah. Yeah. Every right. everybody. Anybody that was there will never forget it. Uh, we got to hear it. What's the story? Have, we still have corner workers come up to me and tell me, yeah. that, tell us that our the best drive they've ever seen was my dad in 86. So Yeah. We're not going to say you peaked, but there's a good story here. So let's <laughs> let, 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 let me just make a little comments about that year. I only raced two or three races, and most of the other races I did was in the Firehawk. But that year... Well, that car was exactly the same car I run in 1985. Remember, it came from Canada. I never touched it. It parked. I only raced those two races, and it parked. And for the runoff, I went to the runoff, and I qualified first. But they disqualified me because my sway bars were too small. So Canada had smaller from the, from the factory. They came with smaller, a little smaller sway bars than they did in the U.S. Correct. So they, disqual- so they disqualified them for that. But... Who do you know that runs a smaller sway bar on a showroom stock car? The body's rolling all over the place. If he would have put bigger, if he would have put bigger sway bonds, he'd be oh, even man. faster. So, well, so, so wow. Nissan, Nissan is scramble, you know, and they got me a sway bar from somewhere. And, uh, so I put it on the car and I started in last place. So there were 28 cars. God, that is a pack. Oh my God. Plus the defending champion, you know, so I was in the back. And I went, I, I remember thinking, I have X number of laps. How many cars I had to pass a lap to get to the front? It was 18 laps. You know, so it said in 18 laps, I got to get to the front with at least two, three laps to go because the guys in front are going to be harder to pass than the guys in back. Two laps from the end, I was in first place and I got a flat. On the last lap. And I had to stop. Oh, no. But I, had a, I got the fastest lap and the whole thing. That's, and I had a camera inside my car. You know, I video that. And you can see when we get into the back straight of road Atlanta, how the, back in those days, the, the Dog Shelby's uh, and uh, the Porsche 924s were the fast cars. 
you can see him how they pull away from me in the back straight to road, in rural Atlanta. But I knew the racetrack and I knew where I knew where to pass him. But uh, I've got a flat. And that Nissan did a half hour TV program and they have a lot of good coverage of it as well. It's a program <laughs> with Paul Newman and him. And um, yeah, and that, that race was also, you know, the previous year, 85 was pretty good. Too because we want Nissan won the 50th championship. I won the 50th, and Paul Newman won the 49, and they wanted to reverse it. And I said, no problem. So, and that's the famous advertising that you still see all over YouTube and everything else with the two of you. Yeah, yeah, we still have a big banner in our basement. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, for those, yeah. I know for those that don't know, I, I was talking to Pembo before we, uh, Pepe, before we did this uh, interview, uh, I don't know, maybe about a week ago, and we were live chatting, and he was like, let me just take you into my basement, and uh, and he shows me, like, it's all chronological, and it literally takes up an entire ginormous basement from one side to the other, and it, it, it evolves from his beginnings of racing on to uh to to his years and then on with uh with both mark and matt and it's like oh my god there's so much it's there's so much uh um, stuff in there it's insane i i'm blown away and this is kind of why i wanted to have the two of you on here to kind of talk about these memories and these years and what you were kind of experienced at these times I can. I remember being there for that. Dad driving from last to first, and I mean, on the last lap, you know, up into turn three and four, he got his flat on the last lap. So it's uh, obviously it seems devastating at the time, but to be honest with you, that kind of sealed it for Dad with Nissan in terms of professional yeah. opportunities. Just came left and right after that. It uh, you don't you can't really do that that much anymore in racing. It doesn't work that way. Um, but Dad. Dad kind of hit that at the right time, to be honest with you, because manufacturers were starting their big manufacturer wars, and, and Dad had a great run at the perfect time to, to get where he needed to be farther in with Nissan. That, that's one thing about, and not only your father, but also you know the videos that I've watched of, of, of both yourself and your brother. I mean, you guys don't give up. <laughs> I mean, every time I've watched you in racing... And I, you know, I, I've witnessed you guys racing throughout the years and going from the Miatas and the Kias. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, I mean, you guys never stop. I mean, you always gave it and raced it to the very end. And, and uh, I've always been extremely impressed with your family as a whole. Um, you know, it, it's like you have the same mentality all the way through. So kudos to you guys. Matthew's favorite saying is, second is the first loser. <laughs> yeah, second <laughs> first loser. Yeah. But I mean, I just remember, I just remember growing up and sitting in the stands and like, if, if, if dad had a chance and he was at the front, he won every race. And, and I don't know that I can say that, you know, I don't know that Mark can say that. I think dad's a very loyal person and, you know, Nissan gave him his opportunities and he stayed with Nissan and, and, um, we're very grateful and really a Nissan family. And so there were a lot of other opportunities that I'm, I know we look back on that dad had presented that he didn't do because of his loyalty to Nissan that might've taken him a little farther in racing. You know, that's one of those things that you just never give up. You're happy with what you have. And we've learned a lot of the loyalties that we have in racing from dad and kind of how he managed his career because racing is kind of a fickle sport. People tend to jump all over the place. And so to have somebody like right. that really had a, you know, essentially a decade career professionally with one manufacturer. You, even back then, you didn't you didn't find it. Yeah, and and what's crazy is that you mentioned that. I mean, those are one of the the most amazing things that about your father is the fact that he didn't do a lot of jumping, and that's why I'm kind of talking so much about this chronologically because everything your father's doing is all with the same manufacturer, and and they're all really really great stories and all these amazing things that he did. And um, you know, when I had first uh, met Pepe at a Z convention here in Atlanta with yourself, I mean, to see his eyes light up and uh, to see you talk about racing as well with him, and then knowing the history of of the family and everything, it's it's amazing to be able to have that opportunity to talk to him. Yeah. So this is, this is Mark. My dad, my first memories of my dad are around or in the two eighty ZXs and the pictures I remember that I was never a part of where my brother was on the victory laps and all of that stuff. I don't remember that stuff. So the car that I've always thought was iconic to me and just 
was my dad was the 280Z, the original Z, not the ZX, because I have so many pictures and we grew up with pictures in our basement of it. So I always wanted one. When I met you was literally that weekend we finished that Z. Uh, my dad and I had been working on that for how long, dad? A year, over a year trying to get that car rebuilt. Yeah, um, at least. So over a year we were trying to, it was just him and I doing that car and Matthew came and helped when he could, but that was what started that whole thing. So for me, it all started with the, the, the old Z cars as always, they're my dad. When I see a Z, I think of my dad. And the 240Z is so special or the 280 because Pepe took Matthew and Mark to daycare when he was in town every morning and they were sat on the console (laughs) on the console and shifted gears on their way to daycare. Yeah, that's how we learned that's how we learned to shift is we we sat on the console of the two eighty Zs and dad would put the clutch in and we would put it in whichever gear was in. And these are these are three and four year old children. It sounds about right. It sounds about right. We're we're running out of time. 87 is a big year. uh, And I want you to have a chance to hear a little bit about it from dad because 87 is when things turn and we get a separate facility and a a, a shop. General Tire gets on board. I want to talk about 87 and this year that things start flipping up for the family. Go ahead. Yeah, in 87, that year, I won every single race I raised at 300CX. And it was the same black car, but now it was painted yellow, general tire color. In SCCA, I raced, I believe, seven or eight races, and I won them all. And then I started racing in the Escort Series and the Endurance. And the other 300CX, newer one, it was in 1987. And this is the time that Nissan gave me a contract, uh, gave me some money. So I bought a truck and I bought a trailer. and. Quit his job. United States. Quit your job. That's when Pombo Racing, the actual business entity, was was formed and created. It was 87. All right. So I got to ask about one race around this time. And I've heard stories of this race. It was the 24-hour race at Mosport. When I ask people about Pombo Racing, and they kind of talk about it throughout the years, I, I always hear people kind of mention this story. So you raced a 24-hour race, and you apparently, I'm not going to use the word embarrassed, but you decimated everybody else. You want to talk about that a little bit? That was in 1988. And, and one of the good things about running an endurance race is that you know that the drivers with you are more more same the same caliber. So you can set the pace that will ensure that the car will finish. And we all agree with us. So we all say, this is the lap time you are going to do. <laughs> bam, 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 bam. Well, if you look at the hour by hour standings, we're never in the lead. I mean, we were back, never in the lead. But when he got to about hour 16, all of a sudden, Pombo Racing is in the lead. Hour 17, Pombo Racing is in the lead by three or four laps. Anyway, to make the story short, close to the end, they told us to come and stop to get new tires and stuff. So we stopped. Nobody came out to the to help us out. I mean, where 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 is the crew? What's going on? And I said, no, we want you drivers to change the tires. So Scott Sharp, Ray Kong, and me had to change tires on the car. The the crew. Yeah, but also it started raining. Yeah, it was raining too. And we decided <laughs> nobody could beat us. We had already won at eight thirty in the morning. And the race wasn't over for four more hours. So it was raining. Uh-huh. It was raining and we decided not to go out. We just wait till it quit raining. <laughs> well, which we did on the tires and then we, we finished the race. One lap before the end of the race, we stop again and we clean the car so we look good. <laughs> and that's what everybody we shouldn't have done that because a lot of people remembers that. <laughs> well, like, you know, I was, I was there for that. I remember I stayed in the infield and it was, I mean, it was a nasty, it was raining. It was awful. But I think that was a publicity stunt for Nissan. And I think Nissan got a lot of mileage out of it um, in terms of dominating the field. You know, drivers had to change. You know, that's how dominant they were. But I think mm-hmm. the competitors, when you look at it from a competitor's standpoint a lot of people we know now in racing raced in that and they always remember you know how arrogant that was that we did that to them 
Yeah, I, I don't think at the time you were thinking about it. You know, if you, it's like one of those quotes that you hear from, uh, like I always quote this, and Mike always says that, you know, if you, you knew you were making history at the time, you would have paid attention. But it's just one of those things that kind of happens. But I mean, from what I've got through the history books here, 84 laps up by 210 miles. Yeah, that's why I said, why risk? Let's say that again. 84 <laughs> laps. Exactly. That is insane. <laughs> That's because yeah, what, uh, most of the other drivers, I mean, they wrecked. They, they were they? wrecking, and then they were start raining. They were spinning everywhere, and I mean, it was crazy. I mean, they were. No, and it was professional racing back then, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, these people who got their feelings hurt, Mom, you know, it is what it is. Mom, help, help Dad explain the eighty six, eighty seven Tom Cruise story and how that happened. No. I mean, they ready for that? Right now, I'm always ready for Tom Cruise. Let's do this. Well, they, um, <laughs> the Sharps called uh, Pepe and said that they were Bob Sharp was sending him a Nissan for him to build for Tom Cruise because well, at the runoffs in November, uh, Paul Newman brought Tom Cruise with him. They were filming The Color of Money. And my nieces and nephews were crazy over Tom Cruise, and Pepe and I had no idea who this guy was. Top Gun had just <laughs> came out at that point, guys. Yeah, well, he had, he had done Top Gun. So everybody okay. was crazy, but Mark was three years old at the time, and we didn't go to the movies. And so <laughs> the reason Paul Newman, the reason Paul Newman asked my dad to build the car was because what was Dad's nickname at that time, Mom? It wasn't a nickname. Everybody in the CCA called it. What was Dad's nickname? The king of showroom stock. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. 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 So, that like, makes when it sense. came to a Nissan 300ZX, when it came to a Nissan 300ZX and, and, and preparing a, a car that could go compete and win at the showroom stock level, you called my dad. So <laughs> yeah. uh, that's your Nissan called anyways. And so they also asked Pepe to be his driving instructor in Savannah. So they're building this car in my garage and I'm seeing Tom, Paul, uh, Tom Cruise in my kitchen window and we have no idea who he is. So Pepe decides, he says, do you think we ought to rent Top Gun so we'll recognize this guy when we get to the races? So on Wednesday night, we watched Top Gun so we would know Tom Cruise. <laughs> And so and then and he became a, and and he he a really good friend. He played soccer with Matthew, and and uh, he was 25 when we met him. He also stayed in our like random stuff. We went to Savannah, like he said. If you've ever been to Savannah, the racetrack, Roebling Road, it's 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 miserable hot and it's a desert. And at that time, we had an old what 1976 Leprechaun camper that my mom used to drive around. <laughs> And uh, yeah. and it was yeah. only ten years old back then. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. we kept it for twenty five <laughs> years. Tom, Tom Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis were 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 in that camper. Um, you know, I remember mom mom washed Tom Cruise's underwear. It was all these crazy stories from that time. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> no, you could have. You could have you could have kept them and sold them on a, as a mint on eBay. I'm just saying. I know. I know. So he wanted me to. See, he was coming to Road Atlanta a couple of weeks later, and he wanted me to take his racing stuff to the dry cleaners. And I said, No, no, no! I washed them. No, 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 no! Taking. I said, No, it's more trouble for me to take it to the dry cleaners. Mom, if you'd have kept his underwear, we could have had enough money to get. Dad's I know. <laughs> <laughs> what was I For those listening, we'll see what we can do about uh, about getting either Tom's Cruise underwear or potentially the Z31 off the ground. Whichever we can get first. We could edit this out and we could fund the entire build. We yeah. could just I mean, say were, that. They, were they boxers or briefs? No, <laughs> no, it, was his, it was his racing underwear. That's Did they have did they have Top Gun across the butt? I'm just gonna ask. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All right, so let's let's get off Tom Cruise's underwear. Let's get into 19. <laughs> we could talk about 88 if you want to talk about 88. Yeah, 88, 87 was the first year I ran into the escort series. You know, professional series, and we did okay. You know, we didn't win, but only one race. We finished second, third, and fourth. 
it was a learning to drive endurance races and learning to have a team that will prepare a car for endurance racing. And, and, and 19, in 1987, I had one 300CX for the Escort Series, and I had my old 300CX for the SCCA Series. Then in 88, I all of a sudden I got two more cars, two more 300CX, because I needed to have one as an spare. It was cheaper for me to take a complete car to the racetrack than taking a bunch of spare parts. And in, in 88, I also ran SCCA, and I ran SCCA at one of those 300 CXs. Every race I ran in 1988, I won with the exception of two, except the trucks, because I was ra racing trucks too. I did not trucks. So you went into, and that's what I wanted to talk about next, and, and a lot of people didn't realize that you uh, you raced with the Nissan hard bodies in the um, I, I, I remember one of your vehicles, it was, uh, and this is where you, um, uh, where I remember a lot of your photos, is uh, you were, I think, number seven truck in that Nissan hard body, what was it, the SCCA Coors Race Truck Challenge, maybe? SCCA, correct. Nine races, right? And you guys ended up coming in fifth, uh, if I remember correct. It was so competitive because name the pickup truck, it was racing. Big things with money behind them. It turned out to be a pretty tough series, and they will get professional drivers from big names to come and drive these pickup trucks. And the whole idea was to take you out, you know. Anyway, and at another point in time, we had, we had three trucks. Is Spencer Lowe in genuine Nissan, from what I can remember? Is that right? Yes, yes. Spencer Lowe on Arcadia Nissan, which he was one of the largest Nissan dealers in California, and Spencer had a genuine car franchise or something. And that's what sponsored the three trucks. One of the trucks was driven by Scott Gaylord. The other one was driven by Ray Kong. And mm -hmm. the other one was driven by Spencer. And then Spencer asked me to take it over. So Ray, your old teammate, was uh, somebody you had already raced with in the past. And, yes. and you guys decided to get into that that series. Okay. I, no, I, they, they hired me. See what oh, they hired you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. What happened is I was racing the Escort Endurance Championship and most of the trucks raced the same weekend. The, race, the trucks used to race the same weekend. So Nissan told me, Pepe, since you are going to be there, why don't you drive the truck for Spencer Laws in those races that you are there? And the races I were someplace else, I didn't do those. It was not with the Escort Endurance. That's that's right. give, him, give him that's... a few of the names that were in that series. Give him a few of the names. So Robbie Gordon, I mean, there were some big names. If you look back at the names that ran that series. They were big names. This is kind of like pre, uh, I guess, I guess score was really kind of getting started back in those days from what I remember, right? Those guys were all doing a lot of those states. Spencer Lowe and those guys were Baja guys. So it was kind of a mixture of of Baja racers coming to road racing and then road racing drivers coming to these guys' teams, you know, so it was actually a, a kind of a, an algorithm of truck guys and road racing. So it was kind of a, just an interesting mix of people. How did that yeah, translate that, for the cars, like setting up the cars and the, and the power plants? I mean, how, you know, how hard was that for you, for you guys to get that all started? Luckily for me, like when you're talking about the Escort, I'm mean, talking about, I'm sorry, I'm talking about the pickup trucks. Mm -hmm. I was arrive and drive. I just got there, took a truck and drove it. I didn't have anything to do with anything. And the escort endurance was that I had to prepare. I had to make sure I had the parts. I had to make sure the logistics were there, thanks to my wife. And uh, then that was all our team. That was my responsibility. But I, the pickup trucks just arrive and drive. By the way, this is when I really start remembering stuff. I was born in 82. This is when I started remembering everything. <laughs> so did you have the 240 at that time? Was this around the time you started prepping that general tire 240SX? Yeah, that, that was 1989 when I started racing the NIMSA in the 240SX. Oh, wow. In 1989, okay. I was running the Escort. I was running IMSA and a pickup truck once in a while. That at, the, at, at, that at the peak at the peak in 1990. Tell them how many cars that you had. How many cars did you ever did you end up getting from Nissan for a dollar? 
we got five. On, we have five on one truckload. But in one of the races at Road Atlanta, remember, this is me and my tiny little team, right? In Road Atlanta, we had a six-hour race before the runoffs in 1990. And at that point in time, I had two C-31s, 306, 1987, and 1988, and two 1990s. Because Nissan asked me to run them all. And they told me who they wanted to drive. Spencer Lowe was driving, another guy from, I was a parts guy. Ron Johnson yeah. was driving. In 1989, Pappy had 52 races, and that was over 26 weekends. I call this his Iron Man year. Yes. And so <laughs> me and the boys just, I mean, there's no, no way I could do all the races with him. So the boys and I set out in my 1976 camper, and we just went. So the races we wanted to go to, and we camped most of the summer, and we'd pick up dad on the weekends here and there <laughs> across the country. We had a great time. So did this kind of end for you? Because, I mean, on my radar, you know, I really don't – I have you kind of still doing the SCCA a little bit. And then I think a few more years later, you started competing with that Nissan NX and then a little more with the 240, am I wrong? Or no, no, you're, was you're, you're there... correct, but it was at the same time. In, in 1989, I was doing SCCA, I was doing Escort, and I was doing some pickup trucks, and I was doing the IMSA and the 240SX. Right? Wow. How was IMSA different? I mean, how was the competition in IMSA? Was it, it completely different or foreign to you, or just oh, it seemed like anything else? Completely different. One of the things that Nissan, the reason why we start doing all this, man, moving around is because anytime that you race, Nissan wanted to be first of it all. And what was happening with the Escort Series, when we started the Escort Series, we were going to be SSA, first of it all. But then they came in with SSGT, and then we were, we were never first of it all, because we're racing against Corvettes and some other cars, but no way I could be. Then Nissan says, Pepe, we're going to move you into IMSA. There is a class called International Sedans. That way you can be first of it all. And there are about 50 cars in every race. So that's when we start wow. building the 240 SX. And they were all only 45-minute races. Yeah, it was back to sprint racing. I want to I just say one thing. And this is Mark. So to go back to what we were saying about the reason 300 ZXs are so special to us is that dad is the only one to ever win in North America a championship in a 300 ZX. So Correct. the cars that he had are very special, not just probably you guys and Nissan enthusiasts, but to us, to us too. So the second car my brother was talking about is that 1987 300ZX that okay. we also know where that was. That's the other one with that, but that one's not in shambles. We don't believe so. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Mm -hmm. In certain groups, he's called Mister Z31. So yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, <laughs> it's true. It's true. If you look in certain circles um, within that community, um, they call Mister Z31. Yeah, I mean that 80, that eighty five to eighty nine time frame. There, there, there wasn't anybody who put Z on the map more than Dad for sure at the racetrack. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> No. Yeah, yeah, but we're get, leaving out a big key point. We yeah, were, so it was a health concern that yeah. took dad out of it. So yeah, Maybe. dad got lymphoma right at that peak time. So oh. so that was um that was the big thing that flowed everything. Like dad had all these cars and he was slated to drive all these everything. And so he you know he nineteen ninety lymphoma in nineteen ninety. You had to undergo chemo and treatments and so had all this team oh. and these people, so all these Steve Millen, a bunch of people that would come and drive these Butch Lightsinger, all these cars that would people would come drive for dad because he couldn't. And then, you know, time goes on. If you're out, out of stuff for a year, you know, people make other plans. And Nissan had kind of, you know, looked at a different way. It was also more of a time where Nissan put a bunch of money into the Infinity IndyCar stuff and building motors. So that that's where Nissan kind of had a big decision to make they put a lot a lot into their infinity motor program with indycar and that's when you know the gtp cars i mean every, nissan just went away in club and road racing and it was a lot of that investment into infinity into the the motor program so when dad got over got over chemo there really wasn't 
there wasn't really a Nissan to come back to at that point. They were, they were on to IndyCar. And so dad ran a little bit um, in World Challenge, did a couple races at Road Atlanta. I think his last race was what, dad, in 94? Not, yeah, 94, 95, yeah. But still, yeah. even so, Nissan lent me a deal with Toyo because the way that manufacturers work then is, okay, I have these cars that got to fit with tires. If I give you more cars to fit with tires from the assembly line, would you give me some money so I can go into a, into a sports program? And that's what they did with General Tire and what, that's what they did with Toyo. So in 1991 and 92, I still sort of ran okay with Toyo, but very limited money from Nissan itself. So that's when I started deciding, uh, I think I'm going to hang it up. Well, we never could do the professional series without somebody funding it. We never put any of our personal money in it. That was not something I would allow. Got to have standards. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, so, so that was kind of the, the transition point, you know, there, and that's, you know, there are a couple of things when you look back, I mean, when, when Scott Sharp and Bob Sharp, they went to Oldsmobile to go run, you know, they really wanted dad to go to Oldsmobile. And if you look at Scott Sharp's trajectory, they wanted dad to go over. They won a lot of G, uh, Trans Am races with Oldsmobile went on and, you know, Scott went on to IndyCar. And so, you know, there's always these things where, you know, dad just was very loyal and, and, you know, he kind of ran his course with Nissan. And then in 93 or so, there was really no Nissan factory programs. And that's where we'll pick up on the second part of our interview with Pepe Pombo and the Pombo family. Join us next Monday when we continue our conversation with Matt and Mark Pombo about their careers in racing and more with Pepe about his life after racing. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nissan Nerd Podcast, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nissan Nerd Podcast, hosted by Miles Hall and Mike Delashman. New episodes are released every other Monday and can be found on the podcast network of your choice. If you like what you hear, write us a review, give us five stars, and it would help us out a lot. You can find content added regularly to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. So be sure to like and follow. And lastly, you can contact us at info at NissanNerd.com. Let us share events happening in your area and provide us suggestions for future content on the Nissan Nerd Podcast.